When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You are listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my unidentified male companion, <laughs> Frank Santo Padre. No longer unidentified. <laughs> and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a multiple Emmy and Golden Globe winning producer, and one of the most successful talent managers in the history of popular entertainment. Among the performer he's repped or worked with at various points in his impressive career are the Smothers Brothers, Steve Allen, Jim Neighbors, Bill Dana, Gabe Kaplan, and Marty Feldman, as well as former podcast guests Robert Wall. Bill Persky, and Carl Reiner. As television agents, he and his longtime friend and partner, Howard West, packaged hit programs such as the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, That Girl, Gomer Pyle, the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour, and the Bobby Darren Show, and primetime specials for... Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, and Carol Channing, as well as Paul Reiner and Mel Brooks' animated classic, The 2,000-Year-Old Man. Years later, they would play a role in both the development and ongoing success of one of the most popular and influential situation comedies of all time, Seinfeld. In 1976, Paul Reiner persuaded George to check out 
a wildly original young comedian named Andy Kaufman, whom he would go on to manage and befriend for the next decade. Executive producing Andy Kaufman at Carnegie Hall, as well as Andy's Funhouse. He's also the executive producer of the Kaufman biopic, Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey and written by former podcast guests Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. His 2017 documentary is called If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast, a loving look at celebrities and non-celebrities who are still going strong at the age of 90 and older, including Betty White, Kirk Douglas, and former podcast guests Dick Van Dyke and Norman Lear. Please welcome to the show the pride of PS80 in the Bronx. <laughs> and a man who once escorted Elvis Presley to an appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, the legendary George Shapiro. Wow. I really enjoyed that, Gilbert. Could you read it again? <laughs> <laughs> and more slowly this time. Now, now, before anything else, in the movie Man on the Moon, uh, there's a part, of course, where they're showing him working on the TV show Taxi. And they got the original cast of Taxi as themselves, of course. And now, I, whenever I watch that movie, I always think, is anyone making this movie aware of the fact that Danny DeVito, <laughs> who plays you in the movie, was also on Taxi? <laughs> it's a little surreal. <laughs> that, that's all right. But you see, we didn't use him in a taxi scene. We didn't want to confuse people. You know, they, all the the whole cast was uh, there for the taxi shoot, you know, with Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman, but not Danny DeVito. And, uh, oh, you know, Danny DeVito, when he called me, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a short person. I'm five foot five. So, and, and, and so Danny DeVito, I'm a head taller than Danny DeVito. And when, first of all, when Danny DeVito called me, he said, we want to do this movie. We have Milos. I know you're talking about doing a, a, a picture about Andy. He said, and, and I'll play you. And I said, well, I was thinking of Brad Pitt. But, but was that was that was that mean? Was that wrong? Anyway, but now because of Danny DeVito playing me, when people see me now, they say for the first time in my life, I didn't know you were so tall. I love it. <laughs> well, you're you're in the movie too. You have a you have a small part. I, I play the part of Mr. Bestman, a nightclub right. owner who fires Andy early in uh, in his career. Right, because he does. He, he sort of has a bombing routine. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, some of his material, it, it just doesn't work. And uh, so I say you have to be funny. It's not a good sign when people walk out in the middle of your act. And uh, and it, Pop Goes the Weasel doesn't work sometimes in a comedy club. But, you know, uh, uh, speaking of fearless uh, comedians, could I, could I uh, take a little segue? Go right sure. ahead, sure. Be because, you know, Gilbert is in a, a very small group of, uh, of comedians who seem to be uh, fearless on stage. There's very few to know. Now, Andy was one of them. Sarah Silverman is another one. And, and, and Gilbert, from just this, I got this from watching the documentary. 
that that you would go on stage and and you sort of if the audience left, uh, it it, it, would, it wouldn't bother you. I mean, and it was the same thing, with, and, and, and and it was the same thing with Andy Kaufman. Because I had to negotiate with Andy because he had a thing called the bombing routine where we do these bad jokes and people would leave. So I, Andy, I said, as his manager, I said, you really have to cut down on the bombing routine. You know, like four minutes is too long. The whole audience will go. So I said, why don't you try maybe 58 seconds? And he said, well, maybe uh, maybe uh, three minutes. I said, well, maybe a minute and two seconds. We got it down to a minute, <laughs> 28 seconds. But that was the, the, but that's why I, you know, a, anyone, uh, you know, I, I love comedians because uh, – you know, starting off, they're so fearless, you know, and uh, Gilbert he, is one of those. He is. He's people. one of the fearless comics. There you go. You got a guest paying you a compliment five wow. minutes into the show. See, see, so now I have no reason to talk to you <laughs> any further. <laughs> you, oh, you, you were going to work for an hour to seek the compliment. Yeah. I, I don't want to talk about other comics now. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That was a segue. Yes. Danny DeVito played me and... Uh, and uh, I, I said, oh, I, I agreed to it. I had to agree to it, of course, even though we didn't even go after Brad Pitt. You know, so it was it was Danny all the but, way. So you wanted to avoid confusion, but it confuses the shit out of me whenever I watch that. I always go, well, where's Danny DeVito? Right. Louis De Palma. That's right. Louis De Palma was a very prominent member of Taxi, but that's yeah. very astute of you. You're the you're the first person that mentioned that. I'm sure that, he is. <laughs> well, the ca- the casting is a little confusing too. We had Ed Weinberger here, George, and he said that Milos Forman made him audition to play himself. <laughs> you, see, you know who played him was Peter, Peter Bonners. Bonners. Yeah, and he's he's one of my clients. Yeah. I just had lunch with him yesterday. And Funny still, guy. Yeah, he you know he was Jerry the dentist in uh, of course in, uh, in, in Newhart. Yes, and he he's still doing he's still doing acting and having a good time. He looks great. I and a lot of directing he did in his in his uh, well, in yeah, his he directed a lot of Murphy Browns and yeah. uh, Home oh, yeah, Improvement. He, yeah, Peter Bonner's funny guy. He he yeah. directed me in some really. Stuff. Yeah, I don't know if it was. Um, I think maybe Wings. Or yeah, something. he did some Wings. Yeah, it might have been Wings then. Yeah. Before we jump around, and we always do this, we put something in the intro. We usually put a goodie in the intro, and then we never get back to it, and our, our listeners criticize us for it. So <laughs> let's at least, since we mentioned the Elvis story, and it's such a fun part of your career. I mean, you were, well, was, you were a kid in the mailroom. I was a kid just in the mailroom, just about to graduate in the mailroom, and Elvis was doing the first Ed Sullivan show. And uh, uh, so I went down there, you know, I mean— you know, because I was with the William Morris Agency. Mm-hmm. They didn't have big security in those days. I'm George Shapiro. I'm with the William Morris Agency. I'm here, you know, be with Elvis. And, and I had the one conversation I had with him, I, I mean, he came up to the office because he was like, I think, like 22 years old when uh, he signed the, with the William Morris Agency. And he, he even he even made him sing in the mailroom. You know, I mean, it was like, it's not the mailroom. It was like a, a conference room. But anyhow, he was down there. And I, and I just said, Elvis... Uh, the press is ready for you because right before the show, he was going to do a quick press conference. So I said, Elvis, I, uh, the press is ready for you. He said, yes, sir. I'll be right there, sir. I said, sir, you call me sir. I was brought up in the Bronx. I said, you're the first person in the world to call me sir. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, in the Bronx, they don't call people in their early 20s sir. So I'll, And I remember that the guy, it's a th- thing I carry with me because he's the first person in my life that ever called me sir. So it was uh, – it was great. He was uh, so sweet and so gracious. You know, that was, that was before he started eating bad and, uh, you know, getting on all those prescription drugs. But he was, he was a sweet, wonderful man. I just uh, liked hanging out with him for a little bit. And the other part of Elvis is uh, I, uh, at the William Morris Agency, 
when you sort of in the mailroom, you sort of like work as an assistant to different agents. And and when uh, Colonel Parker came to town, you know, from from Nashville, he he would uh, have an office. They would give him an office, and I was worked with him as a, an assistant, you know. And at eleven in the morning, he said, "George, how much money did we make so far?" So he was uh, what a character he was also. <laughs> but anyway. That that was it. Uh, another tie-in with Elvis is that we I knew some of the guys in his band, and he always said that uh, Andy Kaufman was his favorite impersonator. Oh, that's Elvis. great. He said, because he's funny. You know, the way he lifts his lip, he's funny. So that was really good. <laughs> I never thought to even ask if what Elvis wow. thought of Andy Kaufman's impression of him, but yeah, he was still around. It, it said Not it, long. He said it, it was his favorite. Yeah. And it was his favorite. Wow. Because yeah, he passed, what, in 77, and Andy didn't kind of hit the scene till about 76. Yeah, well, he, I think he did the, the, the Tonight Show, which he did. Uh, I mean, at Saturday Night Live, he did in 75. 75, that's right, that's right. My grandma, Minnie, loved Elvis so much, and uh, she was to watch him on television, and she was so pissed off that they would shoot him from the waist up. She said, what the hell's the matter with these people? He's moving to the music. What they do? What's the matter with those square people? And she was 76, 77 <laughs> years old. She was hip. <laughs> Your grandmother was hip. <laughs> my, I love my grandma, Minnie. She, uh, she took me to rock and roll shows sometimes, and uh, she just loved rock and roll the minute it came in, even though she was in the 70s. I saw Buddy Holly in the crickets because of her. That's oh, great. Wow. And, wow. And in the Bronx, there was this theater called the Paradise Theater, um, and they, uh, so one night instead of, they, it's a movie theater, but they had uh, a big rock show in there with, uh, you know, and, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis was there and, uh, Danny and the juniors and, uh, Dickie doing the, at the hop, you, you know, Danny and the juniors, sure. that was their big hit. Dickie doing the don'ts, Dickie but doing Buddy the don'ts, Holly, but, but be not for my, <laughs> if not for my grandma, Minnie, I never would have seen Buddy Holly. Wow. Because he, you know, he cool. died, he died like a few months later in that air crash. He was only 22 years old. So I'm connected to Grandma Minnie. Grandma Minnie did you solid. Tell tell Gilbert this is interesting too. Is that well? You know, we talked about how you were born in the Bronx. You went to NYU. You wound up in the mailroom at the William Morris Agency. It's interesting too when how you met Howard in the in the Poconos and the people that you were. No, I met Howard. At, uh, I mean, you met, you met you met Howard when you were kids. When we were eight, I, we were eight years old. He was a new kid that came to PS eighty. And he was all alone sitting on a stoop. So I said, come on, play. We, after school, we play stickball and basketball and touch football. So come and join us. Because I felt sorry for him. We were sitting there all alone. He just moved in from another neighborhood. Then we became friends, like in partners. We started our partnership with comic books. That's right. Uh, chipping in five cents each because they all cost 10 cents at the time. Then we worked at Tamament. That's what, I was, know, as, that's what I, I was getting we, to, the Tamament. Yeah, yeah we, we worked at Tamament as lifeguards when we were like uh, – we both in college. I was about 19, 20, 21. I worked there for three years. And uh, that's what really connected me to the show business because they had a, a theater staff. It was created by uh, uh, like three, four years before by Max Liebman. How about that, you know, he, he, and he And, he, and he, I, he wasn't, that was before my time there. But, he, but then he created your show of shows with the same format. The, the head writers were da- Danny Simon and Neil Simon, Doc Simon and Danny Simon. In the Poconos. Oh. At a review, the review in the Poconos. Isn't that great? Wow. Right, and, uh, you know, like uh, and, uh, Dick Sean worked up there as a comedian. Herb Ross was a choreographer. Herbert Ross, who, be, who, wow. who became a major director sure. doing turn, Turning Point and a lot of Goodbye great movies. So that was, that was uh, my connection. Oh, and then agents used to come up. And he used to, I used to give them boats, you know, rowboats and canoes as lifeguards. We did that at the waterfront. And then they would have dinner with these beautiful singers and dancers. 
and, and come I, I said, this is your job? That You come up here and you're agents? I have to look into that. When I had to go to the Army first, but after that, I, I, I applied for a job at the William Morris Agency. And that's, that was an, the whole connection was through Tamament in the yeah. Pocono Mountains. Yeah, you knew it was for you right away. Now, well, I like show, show business. Yeah, you were a fan of comedy. I love comedy. I wanted to ask you before we get, uh, I, 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 what was your opinion of the colonel? Well, he, he I, uh, you know, he was like a, like a overly aggressive businessman. I don't know how Elvis did it. So I, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I didn't feel so connected to the colonel. Uh, um, Rollins and Jack, my hero was Jack Rollins as a manager. Sure. You know, he had, yes. You know, he, he and uh, he, you know Nichols and May and um, oh and Woody Allen and you know so so the Colonel I didn't connect with him but you know uh, you know also he was like a guy from from down south overly aggressive charged fifty percent commission so so I I didn't I didn't connect with him like I did with uh, some of the other managers when I was in the mailroom and used to deliver mail but Rollins Jaffe they 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 were my heroes so that's who I, I looked up to they were part of the reason. I was motivated to, you know, leave the agency business and go into management and, and production. Found it interesting, too, that you got to see a lot of that comedy. You tell, you mentioned Nichols and May. I, I, in I saw those Nichols days, and, you saw that Nichols and May and Phyllis Diller. And, I saw all of them. They, yeah. worked, they worked at a place where Lenny Bruce worked. I'll never forget it because I was in a mailroom, you know, and, uh, uh, and I, uh, Lenny Bruce worked at a place called the Den and the Dwayne Hotel down in the village. Have, it's probably not there anymore. Did you ever hear of that place? You ever no. hear of it? The, the, the Dane and the Dwayne. It was the oh. Den. The Den and the Dwayne. The Den and the Dwayne. Yeah, it's like the little, it was like a little room, a comedy room, maybe 120, 130 seats. And that's where I saw Nichols and May, who just blew me away, and Lenny Bruce, I loved from the beginning. He was so funny. So And the, and then they hand, handled, uh, you know, uh, uh, people that I so, so admired, Woody Allen, at, when he was starting out. Didn't you see Streisand, too, when she was very young? I, I saw her when she was 19 at the Bonsoir. How about wow. that? Wow. All, all of my very early years at the William Morris Agency, either in the mailroom or just getting out, being an assistant to an agent. How did you decide that that uh, when, when, when you, you, and, you and Howard went in there together? You were both in the... Well, I got I got the job first, and then I, I recommended Howard. I I got I was I got the lifeguard job first, then I recommended Howard. He got the job. Then I got a job at William Morris, and and I recommended him. And he went. He got a job in the mailroom there also. Right? Weren't you considered a bad luck charm for for a short time because people were getting fired? The people that you worked for at well, the agency. Well, you, the way it worked then the training program is you were in the mailroom, and you, you, you they call them floating assistants. You float around. And then I got finally got a job in uh, the legit department, Lee Carcian. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he, he I was his assistant. So I, got, I graduated from the mailroom as a, an assistant, which is all part of the training program to be an agent. And then he got fired. And then I worked next for someone in the television department, uh, Elliot Kozak. And then, uh, you know, after a few months, he got fired. So <laughs> I was walking around with, with a sort of a black cloud over my head. <laughs> Stay away from Shapiro. But then I connected with a guy named Ben Griefer who was in the packaging, television packaging department, and he took a chance with me, and uh, we hit it off great, and uh, I learned everything about producing from him because at an agency, when you put a package together, you know, you're dealing with making deals for the... There was mostly variety shows. That was when show business was exploding with mm-hmm. all these great variety shows. 
you know, starting with Milton Berle and, and Red Buttons and Smothers Brothers and Carol Burnett and Danny Kaye. What year? What yeah. years are we talking about now? Uh, but we're talking George. about like between fifty-eight and sixty-five, sixty okay. and okay. seventy. The Smothers and Carol Burnett both went on in sixty-seven. Sure, Variety was king. And I worked. I worked with the, the Smothers Brothers. In fact, that was the first at that show. It was the first music video that was ever put on television. It was the Beatles doing "Hey Jude." They sent us the film that they filmed at the studio. Wow. In fact, in fact, I had the good fortune of spending, uh, you know, some time with a couple of those guys. And, uh, uh, it was, uh, 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 an amazing thing. Cause we played it in the rehearsal hall and everyone is swaying to Hey Jude. And, uh, which guys it, did it, you have some time, uh, get to spend some time with the, yes. the, the Beatles themselves? Yeah. Well, can I just guess which two I'm going to go ahead, Gil. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say if it's a guess. It wasn't John Lennon, of course. Yeah. Was See, I'm going to say if it's a guess, then I'm going to say it's George and Ringo. You know, it was Paul. It was it was Paul and George. Pretty cool. See, now I did not find that in my notes researching you, George. Well, uh, maybe Paul McCartney. Uh, he he uh, got this uh, Gershwin Award, and Jerry Seinfeld did. Uh, a comedy bit with all musical numbers. All, everyone else was m- m- singers. So he was the only comic, which is Gilbert. Imagine playing in front of the president and the first lady, Michelle Obama. And, uh, um, and, and he's, uh, he's so funny. So anyhow, uh, I met, that's when I met Paul and I told him about the, the video of, of Hey Jude. And he was really touched by it. And he gave me a hug. It's this is one of the chapters oh, in the book I'm not wow. going to write. Oh, yes. It's, it's the book you're not going to write. That's right. right. I was going to ask that, you about that that. that. that chapter is Paul McCartney hugged me because wow. he gave me a, a hug, and that was very, very touching. And he, he he's a great guy. He's very friendly with Jerry Seinfeld also. Paul McCartney so, and the Beatles. I mean, uh, and, and Elvis. Yeah, and I met George. Quite a journey. I met, I met George, uh, you know, at CBS. He was doing a show there. Mm-hmm. When he, and Woody Allen used to go there all the time. You know the most neighbor. Gilbert, who do you think of all the people you know, you know, like all the comics, who do you think is the most nervous that you've ever met that went on stage? Okay. Before, but right, like right before they go on stage. Okay. If I, see, once again, if it's having the guess, I, I'm going to say that Woody Allen would be oh too Oh, my easy. God. He's right. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. How could you do? You're a meme. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, who would who would have guessed that? You know, because he hasn't done stand up for a long time. So I was at William Morris. I used to book him sometimes, and this I think it was at the the Greek Theater, and I, I never saw anything like it. He was like shaking like a leaf, and uh, so nervous. And then he goes on stage, and he's hilarious. And uh, and you know, he runs across the stage, doesn't walk. He goes from one end of the stage to the other because of his nerves. But he's so funny. He just uh, every time I've seen him do stand up, he scored. And, uh, but that's so amazing that, uh, are you nervous when you, before you go on? I, I get, I get, I, I seem to get nervous the more and more experienced I get. Really? Wow. It should be the other way around. I get yeah. depressed, nervous. I always dream. My dream before I go on stage is that the manager will come back and say, we had a fire or a flood in the club. Here's your check. Go home. Oh, my God. That, uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that sounds painful. 
Now, getting back to Rollins and Jaffe, the legendary yeah. managers, uh, who, you know, Woody Allen and Robin Williams and, and God Nichols knows, and May. Yeah, Billy Crystal. Uh, Charlie Jaffe used to say, um, managers don't make comedians, comedians make managers. So, what yes, is, is what? What's the question? No, so what is your opinion about I think that? I think it's a marriage. I think it's an absolute love affair. You know, uh, like you have with Dara. You know, two, pieces of, <laughs> two, piece, two pieces of a puzzle that fit together. That was in your documentary, and it just touched me so much when Dara said that. Like you two, two pieces in a, puddle, a puzzle that fit each other. Isn't that, that sweet? Ah. And, and I think that's... that's uh, I've often said this about comedians, and in answer to your question, I think it's absolutely mutual. Uh, uh, and my feeling is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always romantic. I, I used to fall in love, and it's uh, now the, the the closest thing to falling in love for me. This is only me personally, yeah. Mister. Talking to you, doing <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Mason. No, no uh, uh, I I see a comedian like when I first saw Andy and Jerry and another one. I don't know if you're familiar with Dennis Wolfberg. Oh yes, uh, of course, yes. of course. Because because he, he he unfortunately died early from cancer, also like Andy. But I. Yeah, I saw him in uh, at Montreal at just just for years, just for for laughs. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and you you see a comedian and you, they make you laugh. It's such an incredible feeling. That's why I, I worship comedians so much because I like to call them doctors because with early, recent medical research, it's obvious that endorphins are released and it, it, it's a it it, it 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 strengthens your immune system. So com- comedy is so rich and so important. So my feeling personally, Mister, personally, <laughs> is that it, it's the closest thing to falling in love. When you see a comedian for the first time, and he makes you laugh that much, it's like falling in love with a, with a with a beautiful lady. I How mean, about it's, that, Gil? It's I mean, it's the passion is is, uh, is very strong for me. I don't know if it's for other people, but wow. But the, the main thing is it is it's definitely mutual between a manager and a, and a comedian. Well, I was going to ask you about that before because you gravitated. Originally, you were working with dramatic actors, you said, but they were they were a little bit depressed for you. You know, well, the reason why, there's a reason for that. I didn't ask for that. They threw me into that pit. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> How did because you, I, go ahead. I, I, I was working, the reason I, I came, I started a rumor when I was in New York working at the William Morris Agency that I was being transferred to the coast because all the production started coming out there. They, all, all the film production started coming from California and leaving New York. Uh, you know, they had variety shows in New York and then they were over with like uh, Milton Berle and Red Buttons. And so I started that rumor. And at first they were sending me there, but then, hey, there's no job for you there. But then they sold a one hour weekly variety show for Steve Allen. And since I had experience in pa- TV packaging, they gave me the job to be uh, the assistant to, I mean, I mean, actually I was the packaging agent that, w- that worked on that show. And the show just lasted one season and it was canceled. And then I have an office. So they said, well, you'll handle MGM and 20th Century Fox and the dramatic, you know, people, act, you know, actors and writers. And then when they came to my office, you know, when a dramatic actor is depressed, you're really, you're, they're really depressed. <laughs> or, can you name, can you name any names? Yeah, but but if a comic and I probably Gilbert is a prime example 
if, if he's depressed, and, and Richard Lewis, you know, these guys get depressed a lot from what I hear from, you know, just based on what you just told me. Uh, and they are the funniest people in the world when they're depressed. And, and the dramatic people, you just, you, your heart gets sick. And it, it's, what a different experience. So, you know, no matter, if you have a client who's a comedy writer or a, a comedian, uh, you know you're going to laugh when they come in to see you to talk about how depressed they are. Because they're going to be funny. <laughs> truth. I think Gilbert will appreciate this too, uh, George, which I saw in the research. Was there a mob connection at William Morris? Uh, George, George Wood, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they used to come in all the time. Costello and all, all those people. Frank Costello. Frank Costello. How about that? Uh, you know, you had that. Uh, and so a lot of part of the mailroom, you're learning my whole mailroom experience. Before you get graduated into being a, an assistant, you would also work as a receptionist. When, when the receptionist went to lunch, you know, when, when they went to lunch, you would sit at the reception desk. And the instructions we got is uh, if anyone asks for George Woods, don't ask their name. Just say first office on the right and just gesture to the first office on the right. <laughs> what, was, what was happening? Well, well, you know, they owned a lot of clubs. George I, Woods oh, was very clubs, big right. in the personal appearance department. All over Chicago, New York, Vegas, you know, so that was a pretty big connection in those days. But I used to always see those bulges in the inside pocket of the thing. Wow. And I was I was very polite. <laughs> yes, I said, of course. Right, right. George Woods, right this way, first office on the right. <laughs> well, you know, that's something that comes right. up with the older comics that we've had on the show, George, and Gilbert likes to ask that yes. question. Always ask about how the mob treated the talent. And, well, and they always they, say they to love a man. Them. Yeah. They always it, seem like they would much rather deal with mobsters than regular club owners. And stuff. that is the truth in the history of Las Vegas. I mean, any any you probably I'm sure you Frank has done a lot of research on this, and almost everyone is, agrees with what Gilbert just said that they loved working there when the mob was running it. It was smooth. It was well done. It was well organized. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. You know, a lot of times when the these big corporations get involved. There's not a lot of fun in big corporations. And, and uh, it, it, there was a great transformation in, in the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, energy and, and the positive fun energy that was there at one time that doesn't exist anymore. So that was very insightful. But I'm sure you were well aware of that, Frank, doing all your research. Well, yeah, it's also come up, as I said on this show. We've had Will Jordan here and, and uh, Pat Cooper. And we've had some, we've had some older comics who, who had experiences and, with those people. And Martin and Lewis would say in in interviews, quotes from them, they loved the working with the mob. Never had a problem with oh, yeah, them. Yeah. Oh, they, they, they shot they, straight. They, they, it was total party time for those guys at yeah. the Sands Hotel. When Buddy Hackett loved the mobsters. Yeah. Tell us about Steve Allen since you, you, you brought him up. Well, What kind know, of guy was he? What was he? He, he was interestingly astute. He, he was like you. You know, he did a very bright, very, he did a lot of research, and he, he also was a worshiper of comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when I worked on his show, you know, he brought on the Smothers Brothers for the first time and also a few other people that hadn't done, done much before. Uh, so he, he absolutely loved, loved comedians, and he, he, I, I liked him a lot. And what, but the only thing is he used to dictate into a, a tape recorder telling me what to do all the time. So I, had to, I always listened to his instructions. So was, uh, uh, but that, but it, it was uh, just uh, uh, Tim Conway he brought in for the first time, you know, on his show. So, uh -huh. yeah, he, just, so he just worshipped comedians. And, uh, 
Yeah, he, he had a reputation for discovering that's talent. Where I, that's where I got connected with the Smothers Brothers because it was their first like guest appearance. Mm-hmm. And, and and Tim Conway, too. And Bill Dana? Yeah, well, Bill Dana was – that, that goes all the way back to before my time at the William Marcy. We, Bill Dana was uh, Jose Jimenez on this original Steve Allen show. Right. My right. name, Jose Jimenez. Did you work with oh. Bill? We tried to get him on this show, and unfortunately he passed. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. agreed to do it. And then right. just like a couple of days later. Oh, we had, we had great affection yeah. for him. That's a shame. You know, a very similar situation happened with uh, Joan Rivers and Jerry Seinfeld on Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. She was booked on the show. And I, I was in an event. It was Bill, Bill Persky's daughter's uh, wedding. Liza, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Joan Rivers was there. You know, I spent some time with her because I go back with her from the time she started out. You know, and she was... a. She was a workaholic with writing all the time. She never stopped writing. And uh, so I always admired her. And, you know, there's so few female comedians at that time. So she, she except one thing I, I got mad at her about cause of, because of she insulted Elizabeth Taylor too much about her weight. So I oh, was I able see. to at least express that to her. That was earlier on. I said, I, I used to like you, but you shouldn't insult Elizabeth Taylor. Because I fell in love with her when we were both 12 years old when she did National Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> you set her straight, George. And then, and, and then she did, you know, a Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and then I totally fell in love oh, with her. Oh, yes. Because we were both 24 at the time. So but, I, no, she, she was so beautiful. But Joan Rivers' Liz Taylor jokes used to crack me up. <laughs> yeah, because you were mean-spirited. <laughs> See, I'm compassionate. He is. <laughs> <laughs> Here's, this, I think you'll, you'll appreciate. I, I think you'll appreciate this too. You booked Jimmy Durante when you were a young agent. Wow. Uh, oh yeah, it was on a Jerry Lewis show in Las Vegas. I have an incredible picture. I'll send it to you. Uh, an incredible picture of me and Jimmy Durante in his in his dressing room, and I have the contract. I made the contract. Because I signed it on his behalf, seventy five hundred dollars plus twenty five hundred for expenses, and it was on a Jerry Lewis uh, show out in, in uh, Las Vegas. And I got uh, and I, I went to his dressing room. I'm telling you, I never saw a stream of beautiful girls that visited him. Jimmy Durante. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and you know, and and they all they all said it was really like because he was one of the. Did you ever meet him? No. No. Yeah. That was before your time, but. He he was he has a reputation as being like one of the sweetest people in show business. The opposite of a couple of other comics that I know. That, uh, <laughs> that, uh, so it was just fun ha- hanging out with him. And also, since I was a little boy, you know, he he was a star, and 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 uh, you know, and I loved the way he sang. I know he was. Uh, Precious to me, so that was one of my great experiences too. That's great in this in this great entertainment business. While I nudge Gilbert awake, listen to these words from our sponsor. Were you speaking? Gil and Frank went out to pee. Now they're back, so they can be on their amazing colossal podcast. Podcast. Kids, time to get back to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. So let's go. It was so funny with Jimmy Durante 
there was a million singers who could sing better yes. than Jimmy Durante, and yet it was such a joy to oh, hear yeah. him sing. Yeah, absolutely. And he's always used to say, those are the conditions that prevail, no matter what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was like his, his favorite expression. Gilbert's told this on the show, but it's worth repeating. Tell them that great Jimmy Durante story because George will appreciate it. There was, I heard toward the end of his life, he became a total recluse. And he, you know, he wasn't seen in public. He stopped talking to people on the phone. And a friend of mine said he he uh, wanted to seek out Jimmy Durante. And he found out where he lived. And he went to his front door and knocked on the door. And from inside the door, he hears, Who is it? And, and uh, my friend goes, um, Oh, uh, I, I'm here. I, I want to talk to Jimmy Durante. And he hears, He ain't home. <laughs> Perfect. That's a very good impression. Yeah. <laughs> He does some great impressions. What about Groucho? You met Groucho, too, in your travels. Oh, well, my God. I, I, I just met Groucho because Carl Reiner was very close to him. And I remember I was with him and uh, when, when their daughters graduated Beverly Hills High School together. So I, I just spent some time with him. I, I, didn't, I didn't know him that well, you know, you know like Jimmy. Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but he, was, he, was, oh, he was very nice. I liked, I liked him. He had a very nice, warm kind of uh, uh, persona. So he, he he was wonderful. Tell us to your experience of, of one of your favorites and ours, George Carlin. You got him his first acting gig. Oh yeah. I mean I, I you know, this is the this is what you call what I was saying earlier. I mean, before I before I met him, you know, uh you know, I, I used to watch him and doing the hippy divi hippy dippy weatherman. Sure. And I mean he was just very funny. I just loved him. And then when I, I was I was the packaging agent on Marlo Thomas's show, that girl, and there, and I was out in California then, and George was in New York, and uh, there was a, a role for the agent of uh, Marlo Thomas, uh, so I I said you have to read for Persky and it was it was Persky and Denoff. Right? Yeah, uh, Sam and Bill. Uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, so we flew out, and uh, I flew him out. And he, and he read for it and he got the role. And I just felt so great because that was his first speaking role as an actor. And uh, also then I met, you know, when I, I ran into him from time to time after that, and I ran into him, we talked about that, that that, that was his first role. And he said, I, 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 he said, I didn't think I was very good. And, uh, uh, you know, Gilbert's face went away. So I, I, I miss him. Because there's a thing that, you know how these little... Things go up on a TV screen. Oh, you yeah. missed us? With, with writing on it. We're, oh, now. There you ah. go. We're so back. It was, it was blocking <laughs> Gilbert's face, and I missed him. I missed, <laughs> uh, but, uh, we, have a new, we have a new engineer. What, what's your name? I'm Cody. Cody. Yeah. Wow. Like Cody Ballinger? Sure. Wow. That's a <laughs> wow, you're, a Dod that's, you're an that, L.A. Dodger fan. That's a Dodger first base. Yeah, yeah well, you gave, gave yourself away thing, there. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. This is an incredible story. Fifteen guys from the Bronx, closest friends. Two of us were Dodger fans, Howard West and me, because we liked the underdogs at that time. The Yankees were so dominant. Sure. You know? So, uh, so we loved the Dodgers. This was, uh, and then when Jackie Robinson came along, forget about it. We were so in love with him. And Pee Wee Reese, 
Pee Wee Reese, maybe because I like short people. Pee Wee Reese <laughs> was my, he he was my favorite. I love Pee Wee Reese and, and Duke Snyder, the Duke of Flatbush, Carl Ferrillo. Yeah, all of those guys when yeah. I was a kid, they they were they were playing with them. And I listen to this. You know, when you're in the mail room, you have to pick. Yeah, they call it trips. You have to go on trips. You have to deliver mail. You have to deliver film. You have to pick things up. So Martha Ray had a show in New York, and I had to pick up. Two Dodgers that were guest appearance for guest appearance on the Martha Ray show. The Dodgers were Pee Wee Reese and Duke Snyder. Wow. So I had to go to Ebbsfield. I got there a little early, maybe the second inning instead of the eighth. But I got there. I saw the game. I, 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 met, the, I met Don Newcomb and all, all the guys, Dixie Walker. All, and uh, so uh, I, I, I had to take him to the Martha Ray show in the, in the Lincoln Continental. I was sitting between the two of them. I mean, it's the greatest thrill of my life, right, <laughs> for my heroes. And then they were funny. He said, George, pull over. I guess get some beer. I said, beer, but you guys are my heroes. And then Duke Snyder, he was hilarious. He's so funny. They were starting to do endorsements. So Duke said, I would, in, and I would endorse a bag of shit if they paid me enough money. I just, <laughs> just so, that well, sounds well, like somebody I know. But, <laughs> <laughs> that's, see how Walker. Was, that's how I was laughing when, it, when he said it. Yeah. <laughs> So, but that 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 was an amazing. That's the, the, what a great story! It all triggers all these different stories I hadn't thought about. The People's uh, Church they used to call Dixie Walker, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. People's Church. The People's Church. Good stuff, yeah. George. Good hey, stuff. Did you ever go to baseball games when you were a kid, Gilbert? Uh no. You didn't I, care. You didn't. You didn't care about the Dodgers. N- no. And, oh, Ebbets Field had to be the, gone by that time. Yeah. The funny thing is. Oh, that's right. To this day, Ebbets Field, because uh, I live not far from well, there. Yeah. Well, you, e- you, Ebbets Field meant like this shitty project. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because you were three years old when the Dodgers, I think you, you were born in 1955, I think. And, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. And the, Dodger, the Dodgers came out to uh, L.A. in 58. 58. I remember yeah. when I first heard it was a baseball field, I thought, yeah. What? That's like some shitty oh, area. Reminds me of that sad yeah. Sinatra song about where there, there sing, used to be a ballpark. Would you sing it for us, please? <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> George, we jump around a lot, when, and you got a million memories. Tell us about uh, Marty Feldman. Oh well, Marty, he was Howard West was more involved with Marty than me, but uh, you know, we uh, we just loved him. He was so unique and. Uh, and he did all those mo- movies with Mel Brooks and uh, especially Young Frankenstein. We, it's funny, when Gene Wilder died, we loved Marty Feldman. He, he was just incredible. But, you know, he, he smoked too much. He had, he had a necklace that was a, a, a cigarette lighter. So he was, he was never without a cigarette. He would all day long. As soon as one, it went out, he'd light up. We'd heard man. that about him, yeah, shortened I think his that, life. I mean, that, that kind of destroyed his heart. He died when he was 48 years old. Wow. And, and, and he had a heart attack and... Uh, you know, it was it was so sad, uh, yeah. but that so oh Mel Brooks, you know, he just showed the movie because it, when he had a tribute to Gene Wilder and they, we saw that picture again, the original Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. He was he screened it at 20th Century Fox, and they when we're all in the theater, the theater was packed, and he was and they had a video screen. I mean, it was a theater screen with him walking around sh- showing us all the places they shot, you know, the monster, and we walked around 20th Century Fox. And then he makes an entrance into the theater, and everyone just gave him a standing ovation. 
It was it was a you know great great memorial for for Gene. Oh, that's nice. You also yeah. produced a a, a a movie with Feldman and Peter Boyle and God We Trust. Yes, you and Howard. Well, yeah, Howard primarily. I give Howard credit because you know he he was he was the one that motivated that movie and I. Andy Kaufman was in that. He played God. That's right. Ah, that's right. And Richard Pryor. Yeah. Richard Pryor. Uh, Richard Pryor played God. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Richard Pryor played God. Uh, uh, that's when I met him. At the, I spent time in the trailer with him. It was after he did this event where you know he lost it. You know, this was a like for, for gay rights event, and it was at I think the the Hollywood Bowl, and he he. Uh, then he started insulting gay people and, you know, uh, and, and uh, he, he, you know, he just lost it because I think he was molested when, when he, I think he talked about this when he was young. Wow. And he just lost it. And he, he, he insulted, you know, used the word faggot and stuff like that. And, and then when I was with him, he just felt very bad. He said he just regretted it. He just, he said it's something that organically came out, you know, and he got a terrific, uh, you know, negative response. But but he had a, he had a good heart. Uh, there was one thing Richie Pryor. I mean, because I, I met him when he was very young, also, but you know, and later and then later on. But uh, he he his his comedy. See, his comedy came from a place where he he was brought up in a whorehouse. Yeah, you know? in Peoria. And, yeah, and, and, yeah, and his mother was a prostitute and everything. Jerry does one thing. Jerry has this uh, new uh, special called Jerry Before Seinfeld. And in it, you know, he tips his hat to Richard Pryor about how funny Richard Pryor is. He said, look at the material. Look at, look at the atmosphere. Look at the environment he was brought up in. You know, a whorehouse, his mother's a prostitute, all the stuff. So he has to be funny if he has a sense of humor. And then Jerry's sitting, standing in front of a Massapequa house, his little quaint house in Massapequa. Pequa, and he said, this is all I had to work with. <laughs> so, it, was, uh, it was, that's another, you know, you should see that if you haven't seen it. Jerry before Seinfeld on Netflix. Oh, we'll watch it. He, it's, it that, he, he does all of his uh, originals. He punches it up, all of his original, his first joke. Uh, by the way, you know, he worked at the comic strip. That was the first time he was on stage. You were, um, Gilbert, you were like 15, I heard, when you went on stage. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And and the funny part about it is I I I seem to have a blur of what club it was. It wasn't any of those main clubs. Was it Catcherizing Star? No, or, no, or no. Did you go with Arlene? I went with my sister Arlene. She right. she had found out a friend of hers told her there's a place you could just sign your name on a list. Yeah, but most and of then, them all like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and but yeah, it was in Manhattan, and uh, yeah, I was fifteen years old. Was it downtown? Wow. Was it the Village Gate, or or or, I, or I one of those? Get or? it confused okay. because for a while I thought it was the bitter end or the other Maybe end, it was. and then my sister said, "No, it wasn't that place." I should but, know the first place I worked at, but I, mean, I, know. But I know. But 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 did you work like from like continue when you were fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old? Did you still do stand up? Uh yeah, I would keep doing it. I mean, it was years before I made a dime out of it, and um, but I still would get, you know, have shitty jobs during the day, like just regular jobs, right. Yeah, well, Jerry d- had the same thing. He used to sell 
He used to sell jewelry on the, on the streets, and he sell light, light, light bulbs. He says, yeah, I was on the phone selling light bulbs. Like, like there's people waiting in the dark for me to call them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, had a lot of, he had a lot of jobs. Because when he started, he would, they weren't getting paid. You know, it's at the comic strip, and when he started to Catch a Rising Star, you know, they did the same thing you did. I mean, Jerry signed in and, uh, you know, had open mic, and, he, and then finally... But but the comics started getting booking, bookings out of town, like in New Jersey or Connecticut or some of the comedy clubs. But but uh, it was a showcase with no pay at the beginning. They were fighting to get five dollars or ten dollars, you know, to, to do a set. Was there a so. turning point, Gilbert? I never asked you that. Were you just were you realized now I'm getting paid now this this actually could be a living? Did you have they, a moment of they, recognition? There was <laughs> one time of all places. It was a coffee house in a church, uh, and and they would have this like a night. And someone had told me they said you could just uh, book yourself there, and and they didn't pay any attention. I was known, and I call them up, and they booked me, and I got seven dollars, wow. and I thought, forget it, this is it, this is the <laughs> seven big bucks. time. And then a few months later, they booked me again. I got five dollars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were not. You weren't going in the right direction. No. That that's oh, something. But and, you know, the, that's why this is. I mean, I, this is why I admire comedians so much. Jerry told me a story. He opened for Vic Damone in Atlantic City, and he was there for two weeks. And he said, he, uh, "This is when I was representing him as his manager." And he came to my office. He said, I was there for two weeks. I didn't get one laugh. Not one laugh <laughs> in two weeks. <laughs> and, 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 and to make it worse, his mother and father, you know, came to that show. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and then he came back to the office. And then he, had, he was booked uh, at the Improv in Tempe, Arizona. And he killed. He had an incredible show. And that's, you know, that's, that's the life of a, of a comedian. He could do, you know, because they could, the people going to Atlantic City at that time, they come in a bus, they want to see Vic Damone. They, they just talked, you know, through Jerry's act. But that's what he, and he was, uh, he said that. It's, it's interesting. Also, when he used to audition, he did a couple of times he auditioned for a, a television show. If he didn't get it, he's out on the road. He said he felt bad for these actors. If they didn't get it, they had nothing to do. They were depressed, and uh, that's why I like the comedians. Yeah, I remember him on Benson. Of course, there's a, they, you guys have another job, Gilbert. Yeah, yes. you know, you're not you're not totally dependent That's on a, a movie or a television show. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, of like doing. actors can't pay their rent if they don't exactly. get the audition. Yeah. Yeah. George, talk to about this. I found this interesting too, and Gilbert will relate to this. You talk about the importance and the value of bombing for a comedian. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I no comedian in existence. Uh, you know that. That's why I, I call them they're my heroes, and they're so courageous. Because every every comedian in the early part of their career, they're going to bomb. I mean, would, it, bombing gives you strength because you get through it, and if you do it again, and uh, uh, you, you know, you just overcome it, and it gives you more confidence. Uh, the only one that had a really, you know, most people handle it well. Like Gilbert on, you know, just getting uh, from the documentary that it seemed to, <laughs> he, he, he seemed he, say he seemed to not bother him. No, you I think know, he embraces he, it. Let, let me ask you this, because. Because you got guessed Woody Allen, right? Of all the comedians who, or people who started out being comedian, who do you think is the most upset if uh, they weren't connecting to the audience? 
Oh, would it be Woody again? No, it would be Larry David. Oh, my God. I I remember Larry and those, uh, you know, like catch and improv. And boy, if he got anything less than an enormous laugh, he would get into a fight with people in the audience. I, I was there, Charlie. I saw that. <laughs> I, 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 I was at the improv, and he got disgusted with the audience. They were talking to each other, weren't laughing. And he must have been on stage maybe for five or six minutes. And he said, you're all a bunch of dumb cunts, and he walked off the stage. Yeah, he used to go on. He was angry before he was introduced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he would go up there and... I'm so glad that you were aware of it. He was so... He was ready to fight with the audience no matter what. Yeah. I if never the joke him. went well, he didn't care. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it, Gilbert. That's exactly what it, what it, what it was. That's why... I said he 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 could he couldn't handle it. He could not handle it. <laughs> he had some success later in life. Right. Yes. What did you tell tell George what you said about your observation about Larry David back then that you thought he would go one of two ways? Yeah, I thought with Larry David watching him back then it it, it couldn't be any middle ground. He would either be like the biggest success in showbiz or living out on the street. Boy, that's so accurate. Oh, okay. I have another Larry David story. <laughs> no, this, I mean, this is exactly, you know, it, it supports what you said about him. And, uh, uh, and he also, like, like, has very strong beliefs in what's right or wrong in, 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 in comedy or in uh, life. And uh, we did four episodes of Seinfeld. And uh, the, they, uh, we, we picked up, you know, because we were, I, got a, I had gotten the call from Brandon Tartikoff saying that, you know, this Seinfeld, you know, uh, this series is not being picked up by the comedy department. And then we talked to Rick Ludwin, who was in Variety, and he picked up four half-hour variety shows. That's how we got started, after we were rejected by the comedy department. And then, so we were doing those, those four shows, and then uh, NBC wanted a big note. They said, we think it's very important that uh, El- El- Elaine Bennis and Jerry Seinfeld, you know, get engaged and get married. Uh, th- that's where the, this, the, the show should go. And Larry and, and Jerry were totally against it. He said, look, this is a four friends. It would diminish the rest of them. It would di- diminish George Costanza and, and you know, uh, with uh, and Michael's Richards, you know, great character with Kramer. And uh, Larry said, look, if they want to do that, I'm out. I'm not going to do anymore. Uh, and Jerry, Jerry felt the same way because it just, it just didn't feel right from a comedy perspective and be, you know, sort of copying other shows. And they were very strong about that. And Larry said this, he said, I, I only have four shows in me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't you know. see it going past four. Yeah. The Seinfeld they, Chronicles. There was... And they ended, ended up doing 180 shows, but, yes. but Larry took exactly what Gilbert, Gilbert was saying. You know, he, he took that stand. He didn't have another job. Obviously, he wasn't doing that great doing stand-up, but he took that stand. So he was very strong and courageous about his beliefs. That integrity. And I remember Larry getting into an argument years ago with a guy in the crowd. And the guy in the crowd yells at Larry and goes, your mother fucks my dog. <laughs> and, and Larry goes, oh, yeah? 
Well, I bet your dog doesn't enjoy it. <laughs> oh, God. It's now, funny. You want to... Great that you remember that. Tell us again, you know, because we, we touched on it in the interview, how, how you met uh, Andy Kaufman. I met Andy Kaufman because Carl Reiner had seen him at Catch a Rising Star. He was in New York with his wife, my aunt Estelle, and uh, uh, you know he—he's my uncle because he married my aunt when I was twelve years old. Yep. You know, so anyway, and then I became his manager when I worked with Jerry Seinfeld and Andy Kaufman and Carl, which I still work with him. He's ninety-five years old. He just did four television shows and a couple of movies. He's Ocean's Eight. He's doing incredible. Wow. And, and, uh, and, and uh, Toy Story Four, and he's on uh, right now. You can see him on Hulu with Sarah Silverman doing a commercial for Meshuggah Amel, the character is called. He has a pitch and, pitch and putts course, P-E-T-Z course. And he does his commercial. You can see it now. It's, you can just Google it or go on YouTube and you see my Uncle Carl playing uh, Meshuggah Amel. Yeah, we had, we, we had Carl on the podcast. He was unbelievable. Yeah, and he sang that. He sang an aria for us, George. Oh my God, he sang Pagliacci. That's one of the many. I think so. That's one of the many he sings. He sang he, uh, in Italian. He sang some Irish. Yeah. He, he wanted to be an Irish tenor when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's what he wanted to be. That was his goal in life. Yes. That's so great that you know that. Yes. He told us. <laughs> That he was, was a treasure. He's a treasure. Right. When I answered to your question, Carl Ryan had seen him, and I was in L.A., and the, the, the day before he flew in, and we were having lunch with Dick Van Dyke and, at, at the commissary at NBC. We were just having lunch there. And Carl, who has total audio recall, did Andy Kaufman's whole act. Did everything. Um, the fireman going to the kitchen, give me the food. I do the president of the United States. Hello, I'm Jimmy Carter. So Carl, <laughs> Carl, I'm the president of the United States. And he says... And I'm Archie Bunker, dingy baddie, going into to the kitchen, getting me the food. <laughs> so Carl, Carl did the whole, his whole act. And he said, you have to fly to New York right away and see him. And then the biggest coincidence was, this was lunch. And then like later in that day, four or five o'clock, I got a call from Bud Friedman, who said he has this kid that works at, you know, he works at the improv in New York and they're going to fly him out and do the improv here. He said, you have to see him. So that's when I, that's how I, that's how I connected with Andy. And I saw him, and he was so bizarre on stage. He made me laugh right away. You know, I mean, he I, he connected totally with the with his everything he did. But my only concern was that he might be crazy, because as I said earlier, it's like a marriage with with a, with a manager and a, and a, and a comedian. So I wanted to make sure he wasn't insane, out of his mind, crazy. You know, so I I figured I'd take him to lunch, and I took had him to I took him to lunch and then dinner. And he was a very warm-hearted guy. And when he flew back to the East Coast, they always visited in Florida his grandma Lily on the way to New York. He would stop. So I said, so then I, I really liked him as as a person. I felt he he was bizarre, followed his own drama, but a, but a good-hearted person. And that has to be part of it. When Howard and I went into business, because you know, work at a big agency like the William Morris Agency, you you're know, involved with 200, 250 people. You know, a, you know, clients that you you have to sell. And a lot of them are assholes. So when Howard and I went in to business, we shook hands. I, I won't tell you the name of the guy we, we said on the flag. No, Papa, in our lives. Like the California flag, that was a Shapiro <laughs> West flag. We only wanted to handle people that were good-hearted people that were talented. So that was our, our credo, and we stuck with it. That's so, admirable. Very, 
Very lucky. What I, I, and you always had a taste for the bizarre and the offbeat. So, so Andy was in in your wheelhouse. Yeah, Howard was like the most brilliant businessman. So we were we complimented each other because I was really involved with, with you know, the creative part of it, mm-hmm. you know, working working with talent and the, and uh, the the business part. I I just didn't uh, take too strongly. I just never you know connected with it like I did with comedy. And Howard was absolutely brilliant what what he did. So. So he said, well, if you want to sign him, go ahead, you know, because he, he, you know, he didn't get Andy except one time he, after Andy, you know, did, was doing great. Andy was a meditator. He was a governor in transcendental meditation. And once he went, he goes away, he used to go to, to, with the Maharishi, like two, two months at a time. Then he came back and he told Howard and I that he, he learned how to levitate, could levitate, you know, and, and he, and he, and I'll, I'll show you. So Howard went into, uh, you know, a, a conference room with, with Andy and Andy sat cross-legged and Howard was opposite him looking. That's the only time I saw Howard a little gullible. He was waiting to see Andy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Gilbert, when you see, we we've talked about this maybe with Zamuda, but when you saw Andy for the first time, and you've always you've got a taste for the yeah. bizarre and the offbeat. You're a surrealist comic too, obviously. What 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 went through your mind when you saw this guy? I I remember clearly at the improv, Andy Kaufman starts singing a uh, hundred bottles of beer on the yeah. wall. Yes. And and at first the audience laughs, going, right. "Well, obviously he's not going to sing." The entire song. And then it gets to that point where it's like, oh, shit, he is going to sing the entire song. And, and the audience is oh, cursing it. him out and this like is a walking out. No, at the oh, improv, improv. I'm sorry. Yeah. And the audience hates him. And and that was cracking me up. I, 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 yeah. Uh and also the great Gatsby. He used to read the whole Yes. <laughs> he said, now I would like to read the great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And he started reading the whole novel. And people started like, when he got to page 42, they were a little fed up. <laughs> you know, Gilbert, you know where it worked? Once it worked great when he did the, the great Gatsby. And it was on Saturday Night Live. Because he came out in a, in a, in, in, in a tales, beautiful shirt and, and tie and a, a, a bow tie and tails. And he said, now I would like to read The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And he started reading it, you know, and like uh, after about a minute and a half, the audience got, got a rambunctious and, and they said, boo, let's hear something. And then he said, okay, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I will either continue with The Great Gatsby or I will play the phonograph record. So that everyone's yelling out, phonograph record, phonograph record. Puts on the record and it's him doing The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> And that was the punchline, and that ended the, the so the bit worked. The bit worked because of that punchline. Oh, only he would think of that. Wow, Gilbert, you must have had an admiration for his desire to push the limits. Oh, to put, yes. to push the audience because yes. you have a little of that in your act. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you know what I'm saying, George. He likes to test the audience's endurance a little, a little bit to, I know, to mess well, he, with, to fuck with them. Well, I think, I think, I, I just didn't. He must have influenced you, didn't he, Gilbert? Yeah. Well, I, I remember the clubs. Uh, a few club owners said back then they used to put me on stage to clear the crowd out when you know who was never when they were ready to close up. 
<laughs> <That's> hilarious. <laughs> I, f- I found this, and George, I, I thought I knew so much about Andy. I, did, I didn't know that, that Tony Clifton was loosely based possibly on Belzer. Yeah, well, I would say it was com- that was the that was the, the main inspiration. Was, How about was that? Belzer. Wow! Yeah. Do you know that? But, no, that's good stuff. No, but only because Richard Belzer and a lot of time, I've seen him too. You know, Catch a Rising Star in the early days. He he was just very uh, insulting towards the audience. He was in command. He didn't give a shit about the people in the audience. So you know that, and that's what Tony Clifton's attitude. You know, he he just uh, you know put the audience down and went. But that Andy told me that was like. His big influence, and, and when Andy first started doing uh, Tony Clifton, first he did it without any makeup. Then he had a little thin mustache, and then then he started putting the makeup where you could not recognize. There's no way you would know it was right. it was An- Andy Kaplan. And when I when they came after him, I invited Ed Weinberger and Jim Brooks to see him at the Improv in L.A. To you know they were casting Latka for Taxi, mm-hmm. so they, I mean, he was a, the foreign man. I mean, he was pretty much of a natural. So, and at that, at the comedy store, the main room, have you ever played the main room at the comedy store? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a nice room. It's like 400 seats. And and they were there, and Tony Clifton was the opening act. You know, and he sang his songs and insulted the audience and everything else. It was Andy, but no one would recognize it was Andy. Jim Brooks and, you know, Ed Weinberg, you know, they had no idea it, it was Andy. So then they, they told me they'd love to have him. I said, well, let me talk to Andy because... He, he wasn't that interested in doing a sitcom. He really liked writing material for his act, putting an act together and, and, and adding things. And, you know, that, that was his creative force. So uh, he said, I'll tell you what, I really don't want to do a sitcom, but I'll do it. Uh, if they give Tony Clifton four episodes, I said, uh, they were, the order was for 22 episodes for Taxi. And Andy said, I'll do 14. And, and Tony Clifton ha- has to do four. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, we'll pass. We'll forget it. I said, I'll, I'll go to them on that, you know, because I like the craziness about it, you know, <laughs> going to them like that. I really, Great. really in, enjoyed it. Did you so have to I, go- Okay, go ahead. So, so I went to Weinberger and, and, and Jim Brooks and said, look, the, the only way he'll do it is if you hire Tony Clifton. That was, that was Andy under the makeup. That, so that was him playing Tony Clifton. So they didn't want to do it, but they said, we'll do it. It's worth it to have Andy because no one can be better as Latka Gravis, you know. So Latka, out of the box, was a hit. The show was a hit, you know, and it was great. Then they wrote a role for uh, for Tony Clifton, uh, Nick De Palma, oh, Louis yeah. De Palma's kid brother, a ne'er do well gambler, drinker, you know. So uh, and it was a really well written role, you know, uh, playing his kid brother who came to visit him. He was in trouble, you know. He needed money, and 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 uh, so Tony Clifton takes these, gets these two hookers. He rents a, a, a Winnebago bigger, bigger than Judd Hirsch's, bigger than Judd Hirsch's. He has the two hookers in there, and then it comes time to read with the script. So he, he brings the two hookers with him. He puts one on each knee. He says, these are my friends. I hope you don't mind. They came here to the reading. They're both my friends. So he's, then he starts reading the script. He's, he's reading the script. He says, bullshit, 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 my line. Bullshit, 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 my line. And, and he, he, so he's doing the show. Then they start rehearsing it. And then two days later, I get a call from Ed Weinberg saying, boy, it's really not working out with Tony Clifton. First of all, he's been drinking. You know, Andy didn't drink, but he always had, he, he was drinking whiskey from a bottle, you know, a Jack Daniels. And, um, and he said he's not working out. He comes late for rehearsals. He's not that good an actor. And we'd like to let him go. But I, in my infinite wisdom, in the contract, I said Andy would have an out, opt out 
if, if they fired Tony Clifton because they anticipated that. And in the deal, I also had a separate dressing room and separate parking places for Tony Clifton. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I, that. That's in the contract. And uh, so I, I, when he said they'd like to fire him, I said, you know, we ha- Andy has the right to leave. I just want you to know that. So Ed Weinberg said, well, please talk to him and uh, see, see what you could do, see if he, he's willing to do it. But it's not working out with Tony Clifton. So I went to Andy, and Andy said, I'll tell you what. I'll let them fire me only if it's at the run-through when the, all the network people are there and, and all of the studio people, the Paramount is there and, and ABC. He wanted to do it in front of an audience, and he did it. That was in the movie when they fired yeah, him. Sure. Yeah, sure. And, and, they, and they, they had security ra- grab them and pull them out. It was the front page of, of, the, of the Los Angeles Times. And then... So they threw him out. He said, let me go to my Winnebago. They, they wouldn't let him. They, they threw him out. I said, my girls, they threw him out, and we, we met at the Nicodel restaurant. We made up to the Nicodel restaurant around the corner, and he came out with the makeup off. It was Andy, and he said, George, this is the greatest day of my life. This is, <laughs> this is theater of the street. This is That's theater of great. the street. This is what I love more than anything. And he was thrilled. I never saw him so happy. That's great. And he went, he went out and he did five years of taxi, you know. Theater of the Absurd. There's also that Dinah Shore episode, which is which you could find on uh, on YouTube, where he did Tony Clifton and he insisted that Dinah sing. Yeah. And she and was also, pushing the cooking segment and Charles <laughs> Nelson Riley's out there. Yeah, I urge I, our yeah. listeners to check it out. It's completely crazy. Yeah. Welcome. First time you've been on our show. The first time, it won't be the won't be the last. No, I know. Fine, thank you, thank you very much. You know, Mr. Wonderful. Charles Nelson, right? Oh, yeah, nice wonderful. To see you. Nice yeah. to see you. Now All I understand right. you're going to cook something for us, and a man with your busy schedule, I know you. Well, what about what about? I was going to sing another song. Oh, I didn't know that. Do you? Uh, I thought you wanted to. You were going to cook something. Well, I was on. I was. I came. I was going to sing another song. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought with your busy schedule, I think your agents told us that with your busy schedule, you had other demands. I, I didn't. I'm. I'm... Yeah, what should I put this? Oh, put on the phone. Well, of course, go right ahead. All right. Yeah. I'll tell you what. You have I'll a lot of very interesting. <laughs> you have a. I was. Uh, you know, I was. Uh, I'm very happy to be here with you on your show. Thank you. Thank you. We're delighted to have you. You have a, a, a lot of fans. Uh, well, I like very to... highly of you. Thank you. Uh, you're in Las Vegas from time That's to time? That's right, yeah. Uh, and have a lot of big selling records? Well, I haven't made any records. What are you talking about? I people here. Oh. I haven't made any records. Oh, well, then now they told me that you had uh, a, a Now, look, I, I'll tell you one thing. Miss Diner. Yes. I came here, they rushed me over here, they rushed me over here to be here by a certain time, and I have to sit here and watch this, this bird. Oh. I, I'll tell you something, I don't appreciate having to watch the bird. Well, you want to see some birds, I got some chickies over there, boy. Uh, yes. I got some chickies over there. Oh. Hey, come on, say hi, girls. Hey, I got a shot of chickies here. Oh. Hey, come on. Hey, Lovely girl. Here. Yeah. Hey, come on, one, two, three. Hi, Tony. Hey, girls. Okay. <laughs> yes, and Tony, Tony... He said, I'll make some eggs, and he smashes the eggs, and he throws it in Dinah's hand. Yeah, he that was the eggs, right. Throws both the eggshells in Dinah's hand. Yeah. I had to send flowers. I think he flicks to, water at her at one point. Two, yeah, two bouquets of flowers I had to send her. It's, the audience is so dumbfounded, they don't, and I don't even think Charles Nelson Riley knew what the hell was going on. It's and, a, I, I, and I couldn't reach, I could not reach Andy under that makeup. It was Tony. Uh-huh. He said, Mr. Shapiro, this is the way it is. I don't care what you say, Mr. Shapiro. I don't, this is how it is. You know, so it was, uh, <laughs> I, I could not, I, 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 
I could not reach Andy under that makeup. T- Tony, it was just like uh, like Jim Carrey. I mean, he's totally immersed in the character. You were telling us that before we turned the mics on, too, that when in, on Man on the Moon, that Carrey would not leave character either. Well, that's why you have to see this documentary. Uh, yeah, plug it's, it. It's, 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 called, it's, not for, it's just something that everyone is talking about because it's mm-hmm. such a, a human story about Jim Carrey. I mean, the revelations the, into his psyche at, at the time. And, uh, What's the title uh, again, George? It's called uh, Jim and Andy, The oh. Great Beyond. Okay. And it's on Netflix. Speaking, of, you... ahead, speaking of documentaries, I want to uh, promote your documentary which Gilbert and Dara and I all watched. Uh, if you're not in the obit, eat breakfast, which is fantastic. Yeah, that was uh, incredible. Uh, I mean, these guys, when you see that Norman, Norman Lear now has an, a new pilot on NBC. It's called uh, Guess Who Died? Oh, yes. About a, re- about a retirement home. They're shooting the pilot, I think, uh, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Oh, that, he's been working on that for a long time. Glad yeah, to see that's he, happening. And one day at a time, he just picked up for sure. 12 more episodes uh, on Netflix. And Rita Marino plays the, uh, the, the grandma in, this, in the series that he did in the 70s. Yeah, one day at a time. So, so yeah. Norman Lear and, and Carl Reiner in their mid-90s have never been busier. Oh, Carl is amazing. We're, we're, oh, listen to this. Uh, <laughs> there's a show called Angie Tribeca. Rashida Jones. Jones Quincy, yeah. Qu- Quincy Jones' daughter is a star of the show. And she's amazing. And I, I wasn't familiar with it, but Carl told me to come over to his house and we had dinner and I watched two episodes and it's just a, such an unusual show. It's a good police show and it has it, comedy is integrated so beautifully in it. And Carl ends up in bed with two, two women. Her, he plays a, a, an old uh, retired FBI agent and he's in bed. Uh, I, I'll send you, I'll, I'll send you the pictures. It's hilarious. Um, um, uh, Heather Graham is one of them, and then uh-huh. and then Rashid. But the, the so they wanted Carl so much that Carl said, "I'd like to work at my home." Because he's writing his books. They came over. They shot. They rewrote the scene so that they could shoot the whole thing in Carl's uh, living room, and then and then in the bedroom. And uh, they they shot the whole thing there, and it was absolutely stunning. About that, it, it'll be on in about four weeks. I'll let you know when that's we get great. The, the firm air date, and so that that's coming up. This guy's Sandra, busy. And Sandra Bullock, he loves, and he did Ocean's Eight with Sandra Bullock. Uh, you know, he just uh, he com- continues uh, doing it. Uh, and Saul Saul Bloom. He oh, he's playing the same, same character. Yeah. Oh, wonderful, yeah, wonderful. So he, he was uh, Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, Thirteen, and now Ocean's Eleven with Sandra wow. Bullock. Wow, that's great. And the women and the women do the heist. That's great. And and like Dick Van Dyke, who I think he recently he had announced his retirement. And then he just came back from England where he did the new Mary Poppins. Yes, he sang and danced. <laughs> 90, he's 92 years old and he sang and danced and I heard he was absolutely great in it. I'm sure he was. And and I and I also heard he spent extra time working on the Cockney accent this time. Yeah. Because he yeah, got he, in he, a lot of trouble. <laughs> He was embarrassed by his original Cockney accent. You're right. You know everything, Gilbert. <laughs> he just had dinner. He just had dinner with Dick too. Yeah, we had dinner with Dick Van Dyke. He was, you know, great. Oh, and yeah, when we're leaving the restaurant, he did a little dance in oh, front I of the know. restaurant. It was amazing. Was there music playing, or he danced? Uh, Nothing. Acapella? Just right. Fell into some little dance. I gotta right, tell well, him. 
Go ahead, George. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying he did that. And uh, if you're not in the obit, eat breakfast. It was, yeah. You know, he danced in his kitchen with a straw hat. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. I, I mean, you call the movie a love letter to the human race. And it, yes. it really is inspiring. People throw that, that word around a lot. That 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 100-year-old woman, Ida Keeling, the woman who is, uh, she's not a celebrity, but she's a... Uh, She's 102, 102 years old now. 102, incredible. No, yeah, she, when we filmed it, she was 100. Yes. Now she's 102. <laughs> she, has, she, has a, she has a new book coming out. Did you uh, see this woman? She's the, 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 oh, the, yeah. the black woman that runs? Yes. She's from just, the Bronx, my hometown. From the, Bronx? from the Bronx? Yeah. So she is amazing. And, uh, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's going to come out here and, I think, promote the book, too. And who was the woman who, who marched with Gandhi when she was, when she was 12 years old? That's Tao? That's... That's Tao Bushan yeah. Lynch. She's a yoga teacher, and she still teaches six times a week. She's 99. Incredible. She's going to be 100 on August 13th, and you're invited. You're both invited to a party in India. The Indian government. <laughs> We're there. The Indian government. <laughs> seriously. They're giving her a 100th birthday party. How about and, that? Uh, and I think it's in Mumbai. I'm not sure of the city. And she's going to play if you're not. They they, they want to play the, the 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 documentary if you're not in the obit eat breakfast. Wow! So they're going to do, do that on hundredth birthday on August 18th. And she flew out for the premiere. Or if you if you're not in the obit, we had that at the Academy Theater, Samuel Goldwyn Theater. She came out. She's 99. She's on the red carpet. All these celebrities are, are tired already. She just <laughs> answered every question. Went up and down on the red carpet. Oh, inspirational. That's what it is. So we had people in it from from ninety uh, to one hundred and two, and Tony yeah. Bennett Bennett sings uh, "The Best Is Yet to Come." Yes, which my, is the right right song. My grandmother lived to a hundred and four. What was her name? A mini. You had a grandma mini too. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Bill, you got those jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be doing this podcast till twenty forty nine. That's fantastic. Hopefully my co-host will die by then. <laughs> nope, you're out of luck. My 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 grandmother lived to a hundred. Oh, jeez. <laughs> my maternal did, grandmother. Did you, Gilbert? Did you say she lived to one hundred and four? Hundred and four. Wow, uh, that's totally fantastic. alert. About that. That's fantastic. she used to dress herself in the morning when she was finally put in a home. She would dress herself, and she would. Uh, subscribe to the Jewish Forward, and and like just read every day with a big magnifying glass. Fabulous! I love her. <laughs> you know we've had we've done we've done 180 something of these shows, George, and we've had I think hey, that's exactly how many Seinfeld episodes there were. 180. There you go. Well, we got to <laughs> we got to end now. Then we got to end with this okay. one. But okay, we had, well, anyway. We I, had nine, uh, we've had nine people on this show in their 90s. Really? Carl and Dick and Norman uh, and Sonny Fox and Bill Macy and Roger Corman and uh, Marty Allen and Lee Grant. And I'm happy, to, I'm happy to say they're all still with us. Well, I know that's incredible. What a, what a tribute to these people. And it's all about vitality, being engaged with people. When you see that thing, Patricia Morrison also was, was in Patricia it. Patricia Morrison, yeah. Uh, yeah, for, uh, Kiss Me Kate, she uh, created the role. And uh, she's 102, and she is still having fun with her friends. They come over. And her, it's exactly what we're talking about, the engagement with friends and family and being active. 
And the name, Dick Van Dyke's book is Keep Moving. Keep Moving, you know, yeah. do, do what you love. And that's what you guys are doing. Well, we, we feel the same way about these people. You know, we want to get their stories and we want to, we want to introduce yeah, yeah. them to younger generations. You know, that's what, we've, and, that's what we've been able to do with this show. We're very proud of that. And well, you, you guys, Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say you guys are doing great work. What, what were you saying? No, I was saying when I was, I was doing actually press for uh, my documentary and Bill Macy came there and was in the audience. And then he wasn't there toward the end of the show. And we heard he's, he, he was having trouble breathing and he had to be rushed out of there. And so we were worried. We called the next day and we said, well, what hospital is he at? And he was, he, he wasn't at the hospital. <laughs> so we called him up and, and we said, well, can we stop by your house and bring you a coffee or something? And he said, I'm not at my house. I'm at the casino. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he just had a shortness of breath, and he got over it. That's it. Yeah, and he was right. out gambling. That's so day. impressive. I left out two people. I don't. Um, uh, uh, oh, Marty w- Allen? I said Marty Allen. Oh, Will, Marty. Will Jordan is, oh, is 90. Oh, my God, yes. And Larry that's, Storch was here with us, and he's 95. Uh, that, that's fantastic. Or 96. Great. I am so impressed with you guys. Yeah, well, you know, this is this this is what brings us pleasure. Enjoy, George. And I'll tell you another thing that comes across in the documentary is is uh, the love story, this long love story between Carl and Mel. Oh, this yeah. love story between these two men and oh, the yeah. and the great the great affection that they've had for each other all these years. That's it's so the, nice to watch. Mel is there every night, except when he's not in. When he like you know, Mel did uh, the Young Frankenstein. Uh, uh, he did this revised version, and he was in England for uh, like three months doing rewrites and it's a huge hit on the West end. Now they extended it from September from, uh, I think from February to September or October of this year. So he has another big hit. And he was, it was out. He's nine, he's 91 and he's been out there, uh, working like a, a, a young Broadway producer, writer, director. Yeah. And, so, and I heard so great. he and Carl get together every night but and watch Mel, movies together. Yes, yeah, so every night Mel is there. And sometimes Carl makes fun of him because Mel falls asleep with his mouth open. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> their, their favorite, I understand, are mo- movies that involve the, the line, secure the perimeter. Yes, that, that, that's, that's their favorite. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's their favorite movie. Boy, you did great research. Congratulations to oh. both of you. <laughs> George, this was so much fun for us. Uh, I loved it. I loved it, and uh, it's so nice uh, to get this, uh, you know, part of, of Gilbert Gottfried, you know, the, this kind of engagement and uh, a departure, you know, from, from uh, his, his presence. But he, Andy Kaufman had to influence him, you know, to, to take the risk that you take on stage. It's just it's so beautiful. And uh, if people are laughing at you, you know you're helping them stay healthy. Oh, thank you. What a lovely thing. Wow. We'll plug the we'll plug the, uh, the the doc again. It's wonderful. If you're not in the obit, eat breakfast after ninety. People don't retire; they inspire. Well, that thank you very much. Very, very much. Couldn't be more. <laughs> <laughs> I liked your Jackie Mason before George. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, goodbye, boys. <laughs> this was a thrill. George Gilbert's going to well, sign okay. off. 
Okay, keep up the great work. So this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we have been talking to the great George Shapiro. George, thank you. Thank you. It was great. Uh, I, a, I really love it. A treat, loved a treat it. for it was, us. It was, it was, thank you. There's a saying that goes, you're as young as you feel. And I know for a fact that it's true. If there's youth in your heart, show the calendar out. Because your age depends on you. Have a head start if you are amongst the very